Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, episode number 74, Oven-Controlled Crystal Oscillators. This is uh, one of your hosts, George N2APB, and uh, our other host is Joe N2CX, and we have a couple of uh, guest designers on here with us tonight, and uh, we'll get to that uh, a little bit farther down, but we're really pleased to be bringing this show here to you, courtesy of TeamSpeak and the Internet, and... Uh, and everything in between. So, um, chat with the designers, as we always say, is a, is a live, interactive, online, monthly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains. And tonight, you're going to see just how live and interactive and, and kind of uh, experimental in nature it is. As you will see, tonight's episode is going to be an extravaganza in in uh, pictorial view. We're going to be going through a very um, picture-oriented type of expose of this phase two of, or actually part two, of uh, the overall GPSDO project that we initiated uh, last month. Last month, as a brief recap, we covered the VCXO, the Voltage Controlled Crystal Oscillator, Many of you have indeed uh, received that kit and put it together and and uh, hopefully are, are seeing some very good results. Our intention is to take that um, oscillator tonight and add some temperature control. No, we're not going to go down to 45 degrees Fahrenheit. We're going to go up to 45 degrees Celsius and maintain a good warm temperature inside an enclosure that uh, the VCXO sits in, hopefully to establish some stability, to keep the, um, the temperature-sensitive components on the VCXO from drifting around, and thus end up with a stable 10 megahertz um, frequency. Um, ultimately, as we have been touting, we're going to be using this, uh, this project as a standard in a shack, um, multiple uses for such a precise 10 megahertz standard, um, we've talked about before, um, as far as uh, on-the-air type of usage, as far as comparing to other frequency sources uh, to see which is uh, more accurate um, for use in um, aligning receivers. And Mike is going to be able to tell us a little bit. I liked your post today, Mike, about uh, another use for a, a really um, precise and accurate uh, um, frequency standard. But the whole goal is to provide that standard and tonight we're going to uh, uh, talk about the oven that's going to um, help maintain uh, uh, some frequency stability. Next episode in in, uh, uh, in October, I think it's like October 13th or something, uh, second Tuesday in the month as usual, we're going to conclude this series with a GPS. We're going to be adding a GPS module. We'll get to that at the bottom of the uh, of this whiteboard and then the program. Some really exciting things that a number of us have been experimenting with, and what we're doing is showing an experimental way to kind of bring it all together. So tonight, what we're going to be talking about is the oven. And um, um, Joe, did you want to maybe, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot because we didn't talk about it, but maybe uh, before we launch into Hans's thing, I'll launch, I'll, I'll describe the, our relationship with Hans, but maybe you could just explain a little bit about oven control and maybe some of the problems that a discrete component oscillator, such as our VCXO from last time, uh, might offer for use as a standard. In other words, why would we want to be taking some of these extra efforts? Sure, George. 
Well, as uh, as we all know, nothing's perfect, um, and um, the crystal oscillators we common commonly use uh, offer quite a bit um, better stability than LC oscillators. They indeed have their um, have their issues. Crystals are not perfect. They do uh, tend to drift with temperature, um, although to a small degree. But when you get down to um, um, the Hertz level or below, um, a little bit of temperature change can make the uh, crystals uh, crystal oscillator frequency vary. Uh, in addition, there are other components in any uh, practical crystal circuit, such as the transistor, which um, has uh, some phase shift change with, with uh, temperature, and um, any of the capacitors that are in the uh, in the oscillator tend to drift a little with temperature. Um, good practice is to use NP0 um, capacitors, which have a plus or minus uh, 30 degree part per million uh, per degree C um, range um, drift, which is which is good, but it's not perfect. Also, particularly in uh, voltage controlled oscillators the uh, voltage controlled um, diode um, used as a variable capacitor has a little bit of temperature drift so the object is with a uh, temperature controlled oven to try to um, stabilize the temperature keep the components at a constant temperature so that um, it doesn't drift all over the place um, in the context of just a standalone oven control oscillator that makes it stable on a given frequency uh, in the bigger context of an oven control a um, GPSDO a uh, GPS disciplined oscillator it uh, makes it uh, easier for the uh, disciplining to take effect for it to stabilize the the, um, uh, the oscillator and to lock it to the uh, timing on the GPS signal. Uh, the more unstable the oscillator is, the more difficult it is to, to uh, discipline. Uh, and in fact, if it gets too unstable, it could uh, fall out of lock. So the object with the temperature um, controller in uh, the oven controller is to stabilize the oscillator, make it as good as it can be. Won't go into a lot of depth, but um, the um, controller we're using uses um, proportional control and a uh, and an integrator. Um, and without a lot of uh, hand waving, you can look on Hans's page and some of the links that are on our uh, on our uh, whiteboard to get a little more info. But basically, the idea is to um, apply uh, to measure the temperature inside. Um, the oscillator by the components and to supply a uh, feedback signal um, to a heater in there to uh, maintain a stable oscillator. Um, I'm sorry, to maintain a stable temperature. And uh, we've chosen, uh, as Hans uses, a uh, an op amp with a uh, feedback uh, feedback on it to make it an integrator so that it performs a slow feedback um, uh, signal, gives a slow feedback signal to the heater. So there are no really abrupt changes, and the oscillator doesn't go zinging, or the temperature doesn't go zinging all over the place while it tries to stabilize. This is the um, integral uh, part of the uh, um, part of the equation, part of how it works. And Hans has some uh, very good pictures on his uh, web page about how stable it is. He picked uh, picked integrated capacitors to try to get the thing to stabilize in a reasonable amount of time without varying all over the place and then to stabilize long term so that um, uh, it stays on, on temperature to maintain the oscillator well to within um, better than a hertz at uh, 10 megahertz so that we have something good to start with to um, to further stabilize with the uh, GPS disciplining. And uh, that's about the story. Any any questions on that? I realize it's a complicated subject and I'm glossing over a lot, but um, that's the highlights. Any, uh, any questions or clarifications needed? Okay, hearing none, uh, back to you, George. Well, thanks, Joe. That was a pretty good, quick overview, and uh, you, you touched all the bases uh, around the horn, as we say. So, um, 
a little bit of background on on how we ultimately ended up at Hans's uh, solution. I am a fan of Hans Summers, G0 UPL, um, over in the UK, and his website, if you haven't gone to it, I mean, you are just missing out on a part of life that... As a home brewer and an experimenter, you 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 would not want to miss out on. Um, Hans is a uh, is is an experimenter himself, and he just loves building and and uh, trying new approaches. And most importantly for us all, he makes things available inexpensively for others who want to play along. Now along the way. I had gotten his OCXO synth, um, his OCXO slash synth synthesizer uh, kit. Maybe some of you other, uh, some some of you have done that too, and um, um, it's a it's a really interesting kit to put together. And it uses uh, <clears throat> it's a combination of the oven control, which we are using here, as you will, as you see. Um, also on his circuit board in that particular design is uh, is a uh, 27 megahertz oscillator. It's not a variable. Um, one to any great extent at any rate um but uh, and then also on that same circuit board is the uh, now ubiquitous uh, si 5351 from um a triple oscillator from silicon labs um many of us are using that in our project these days so i, I built that thing and i was just enamored with it and then of course comes along you know uh, joe and i sometime during the summer just really had this scathingly brilliant idea in sbi if you recall us using that term before that uh, we really wanted to work on a, an, uh, a frequency standard uh, for our labs. And then it was turning out so well, and we were excited about it, and everything around it was technology-based that we felt would be really interesting to chat with the designer listeners. So we also decided to, of course, take it to CWTD here, and that's what brings us here. So the confluence um, of, of that of that uh, using Hans's uh, OCXO synth board, our, our wanting to ultimately produce an oven for the VCXO that we had, and uh, looking around at other types of oven control circuits um, kind of led us to be uh, using Hans's. We could have experimented to an even deeper level and uh, worked up our own um, oven control, but I mean, it's good to stand on the backs of giants in our field as we go along, so we'd like to use and uh, use the components that others have been quite successful in, in building. So I contacted Hans and explained what we're doing, how we're doing it, and uh, how much I thought it could be a great fit. He agreed. But I said that you know, we wanted to keep costs down, and we wanted to add some extra stuff to it as well. As you'll see, we have some additional circuits that we have added uh, uh, to the, our project here in chat with the designers for temperature indication of high or low or right in the middle on spot on uh, temperature uh, control. Um, so using Hans's uh, um, a portion of actually using his whole circuit board for the OCXO synth, but only getting the components from him for the oven control. And actually, by the way, as an aside, we also got and included components for his oscillator, which we asked him to put a 10 megahertz uh, crystal in there too. So in the kit that we're getting, that we're getting kind of uh, at a great, good price from Hans, and they should be arriving at my doorstep uh, like any day this week, um, is a partial, what I call, or what he now calls just the OCXO kit. Remember his original one was the OCXO synth kit. So what he's providing is for us is his circuit boards and the components for the oven control and also the um, uh, the um, 
oscillator uh, with the 10 megahertz um, uh, crystal in it. We're not going to use that oscillator, but I figured that chat with the designer os uh, people would uh, enjoy populating it later on and, and ultimately using it for that purpose as well. So we can discuss other ways, you know, other kind of permutations of the project, but we are only interested in the circuit board and the components shown in in a schematic one of two on our whiteboard. So those are the components that are in the kit that constitutes uh, essentially what is part uh, the, the first part of the, the this installment uh, that we have here for oven control. In other words, later on, I'll have some ordering information and for like a uh, some total shipping included, at least for the U.S., it's going to be on the order of maybe $13. I'm not sure how that's all going to work out yet. Um, but when we get the final prices, um, I'm going to wrap it together with, with the, uh, the shipping so as not to kind of, I'll, I'll make sure it all balances out right in it. And uh, you can get the part A and start assembling the oven control on the circuit board, much as I have pictured here and operational and mine um, on the whiteboard. And part B, the second part of the uh, shipment, uh, if you will, the, the part of the kit, this kit, is is the um, um, is the temperature indicator and uh, the motherboard. But but I get ahead of myself. Let's just kind of hold off a little bit because I want to walk us through the diagrams and the photos because it really tells a story. As I said when I kicked off the show here, this is a uh, this is a, a show about photojournalism. In other words, the pictorial representation of the project, not in as much words or parts lists or intensive theory as we normally do, but in chronicling the progress of this project as we're building it up and experimenting. And I was speaking with Joe earlier. Joe, maybe you want to make a comment about the experimental aspects here that we that we experience and, and chat with the designers. And you know, it's not all cut and dried, and there's there's a bit of uh, experimenting coming along. And, and someone on the list here earlier today, I forgot who and what context kind of underscored that comment too joe indeed yeah um <laughs> yeah this is um the the process here with the chat with the designers is not uh, not a bunch of uh, guys us, us guys sitting in our ivory towers on high um dispensing um knowledge that, that uh, uh only us know, but um, what it is is um, it's a process where you get enjoyment out of the journey. We um, we let you look over our shoulders as we're developing the various um, things we discuss. We show you um, an idea, we show you what we want to do and an approach, and then detail what goes on in trying to make um, make those plans work. Um, you know, when you go into the woods, uh, you might not know the right path to take, and that's kind of how we are. We have an idea of how we want to go, but um, as we go along, we look for markings on the trail, so to speak, and what works, what doesn't work, um, what components we can get, and what components are reasonable to get, and uh, then look at the performance of what we've got, tweak it, and try to make things work. So um, you get a, get some idea of um, what we're doing as we're doing it. And in addition, um, we appreciate feedback from people. Um, it seems every project is a couple folks who, who really get into things and um, try to help us and uh, go off and do some experimenting of their own. In particular, in this one, uh, Mike of the A8BXN has been um, kind of jumping the gun a little bit, which is good. He's going down the path and he's doing a little trailblazing for us as well, trying to uh, help out, give us ideas and to check things out. If you've gone to the uh, Yahoo uh, chat with the designers um, site or um, yeah list, email list, you'll 
see that uh, Mike and uh, George and to some extent myself and some others have had some uh, some good discussions about what approaches to take, what works, and what doesn't, and um, some ideas. And uh, we really appreciate that because it's an interactive, uh, evolving process to um, to make us le- to help us learn and to try to um, give others the benefit of that information and um, show how things are done. Back to you, George. Yeah, well said, Joe. Thank you. Um, and to, to kind of underscore what Joe was saying here, um, in between episodes, and especially for this one here, um, we are really going to be wrapping up a lot of the iterative uh, discussion, the detailed discussion about some of these concepts and so on, mainly because um, I, Joe and I did not get it to the point of, of actual operation as we had intended in time by today. So instead of delaying the program, which we have done in the past, uh, for that reason, to, to have something of, of really great substance um, to to discuss, whether it be data collection and data analysis. You can't do that if you don't have the data. Here we decided to go forward with, obviously, you'll see the prototype um, um, implementation of the hardware, and uh, the, the, even the web page is, is a little bit uh, sparser in descriptions as normally. I'll be fixing that in the coming days. Again, the, the day job has been just quite hectic, um, more hectic and even throughout the Labor Day weekend. I know now why they call it a Labor Day weekend for uh, some, some startups. But anyways, um, getting right now to the meat of, of this, um, we have the circuit. And uh, Joe sort of went through the circuit. I don't think we want to go through it much more detail other than to say it's the op amp and some transistors on the left, Q1 and Q2. I'm, uh, I'm looking at schematic one of two now. It's called the oven, uh, CWT, oven controller. So the uh, transistors Q1 and Q2 are turned on. Um, they are BS-170s, and uh, you could read Hans's uh, explanation and detailed uh, theory of operation in, in the manual uh, for it, which is on his uh, the website just above it. You, you can see that. Not the description website, but the, the one where actually, if you were to order things from him, you would go to the OCXO kit, and then um, uh, the manual is there. Very, very Heathkit-like oriented, step-by-step, uh, measurement-by-measurement uh, type of thing. Great, great documentation. But uh, the, the basic principle, of course, is the op-amp turns on Q1 and Q2, um, uh, pretty much um, uh, pulling full current through them and thus getting them pretty warm. And uh, the, the crystal can be envisioned, can be visualized as being in between the Q1, Q2 pair on the left and the Q3 sense transistor, uh, temperature sense transistor on the right. Um, and you'll see in a moment as we describe where the, how, how that sandwiching occurs. And um, when the temperature comes up to the nominal 45 degrees Celsius or centigrade, um, that uh, the signal feeding back to the positive input of the op amp is going to be matched by the the temperature adjust of the resistors going into the uh, inverting section and ultimately the uh, the signal is reduced to the Q1, Q2 transistors, ultimately bringing that local area into temperature uh, uh, stability. The um, Just to describe um, it next, since it's there, it's, it's obviously my hand-drawn diagram that actually the breadboard was put together and is proving out um, that'll be a nicer diagram in a moment. But nonetheless, the two, tra- uh, the two, um, it's an LM339 quad comparator chip, and uh, Joe went through the calculations of, of uh, what the resistors are with an LM39, or actually, I'm sorry, an LM30. What was that, Joe? We started with an LM34, I think. 
but then we went to something else. I didn't write it down. Um, what, which, what is it that we got? I don't remember the part number, but it's an analog devices chip that is uh, basically the same thing. It senses temperature, and it has a DC output that uh, varies by um, 19.5 millivolts per degree C to give you an indication of the temperature in terms of the voltage. Thanks. I thought it was microchip, right? Yeah, what did I say? Hey, it is microchip, and uh, mm -hmm. I'll look up the number in a minute. Yeah, okay, and then I'll get it down to the webpage, uh, of course, with the full schematic, uh, like tomorrow. But ultimately, <clears throat> the uh, those first two um, quad comparators are going to be um, sensing when the temperature coming back is going to be higher or lower than those particular trip points, and those LEDs will come on, the red and the R for red and, green, and G for green LEDs will come on. The, the kind of uh, trick um, was how to handle the um, turning on an LED when the temperature was within the window specified by those two. We won't go into it now, but uh, the, the write-up underneath this schematic will be uh, just explaining that. Um, but fundamentally, we're taking when both of those are um, are off, essentially, that's going to be a, like a, an AND gate. That third uh, gate of the LM339 is an AND gate. So when both are off, it's going to turn on the white LED. Colors have changed a little bit, as you'll see down in the, the enclosure. But nonetheless, that's the temperature. What we wanted to do was to have a way to uh, to determine. This is an experimental platform, and you'll see how I brought out the temperature uh, sense, uh, the temperature signal, um, the actual uh, the the temperature indicating signal to to the front panel. But uh, okay, um, any questions on these two schematics before I kind of move on to more of the you know the hardware-oriented mechanics of putting this together? Okay, the next diagram is is kind of like what you're going to get in the uh, in the in the first part of the kit, part A of the kit. This is what we get from Hans. I have like a hundred of these things being sent to me right now, and uh, again, it's going to be in the ballpark of ten ten to twelve dollars, um, including shipping, including shipping for the U.S. It'll be a little bit more for uh, for DX. Um, but those are the components that form the uh, the oven control circuits, and uh, it's um, it's a relatively straightforward uh, population of the circuit board. Um, the tricky part of his OCXO synth board, as you will see when you ultimately look at the project um, documentation, he has a bunch of circuit board breakoffs that he, you build up into a like a cube uh, surrounding the temperature sensitive components, the crystal and the uh, and the transistors and contain, uh, uh, it serves as a containing environment for, for that area such that it's easier for the temperature to be maintained in there. But uh, we're taking a slightly different approach, and frankly, I'm hoping this is going to work out. I think it will because of some other factors, but nonetheless, we're only using the, this circuit board populated much as you see in the photos uh, below the parts breakout. The, two, the assembled board is shown down below. Now talking about that board, the um, I, I wish the and I'm still working on finding a technology where I could wiggle my mouse and actually have you see it on your screens. There's a way to do it. I just want to make it. I don't want to pay a lot of money to get it on a monthly basis. But uh, what we're going to do, and what Hans's circuit does, is um, he inserts a crystal in between those those four transistors you see there. The fourth one, by the way, which is not pictured in the schematic, was for the uh, oscillator. We're not using it, but we place it in there anyways to to hold it. Because what he does, I don't, I don't show it here, but he shows it in his manual, is is a, a real clever way of having a, the uh, sandwiching the crystal in between those four transistor packages, those TO92 packages, 
and he builds a wire harness, just some wires soldered into the four corners of the circuit board around there, and he crisscrosses them, and he sandwiches and pulls in tight the heater transistors on the left against the sensor transistor on the right, and that other one that I mentioned, uh, to create a little package that's tightly bound such that the heat is most effectively transferred to the crystal and sensed by the sensor on the other side of the crystal and thereby keeping the crystal most um, in temperature uh, st uh, stable condition. We're taking a little bit of a different approach and by, as you see in the picture below it, I'm holding in my in my hands the, uh, the VCXO on the top board with the crystal mounted on the bottom as we talked about uh, on the list. By mounting the crystal on the bottom of our VCXO board, we can have it dip down into those, um, those, uh, those pairs of TO92 transistors. And ultimately, if we can hold them in that position, it should be almost as effective as, uh, as a heating and sensing element uh, uh, for the crystal. Now comes the fun part. If you slide down to um, the next group of pictures, the one with the uh, kind of the yellowish perf board and a close-up of how I mounted the uh, um, uh, the oven control board on the bottom and the VCXO on the top, and then if you, all, I'm sure you've also peeked down to the uh, enclosure. It's a nice aluminum enclosure. The idea is that assembly, the perf board assembly, is going to slide into the enclosure, and we button it up. But also, before you button it up, oh shucks, I didn't show it. Uh, I forgot to po post a picture. There, um, there is pink foam um, insulating material. Uh, sometimes you see it when it comes as far as uh, you know some of your semiconductors that you order from Mauser or DigiKey come um, kind of wrapped in or packed in some very thin pink um, anti-static insulating foam. Well, that's what we're using, and I've lined the inside of that uh, aluminum enclosure with that so as to provide a more thermally contained environment. And the overall principle that ultimately we are going to be experimenting with, there's really two dimensions to it. Number one is that, you know, we're heating not just the crystal. You can see in the, you, you, the yellow perf board picture on the right, a side angle, you can actually see where um, the crystal is uh, reaching down in between the TO92 um, packaged uh, devices, such that it's going to be very similar to what Hans does with his crystal, except our crystal is coming from the top, being inserted from the top. Hans's is sitting on that very same circuit board from the bottom, if you will. Um, you can't see it too well, but the mounting technique is is essentially um, the uh, the VCO is held um, in place by a standoff in a rear left corner of it. You might be able to see that aluminum standoff. It's just the right height when the oven control circuit board below it is just mounted flat to the uh, to the motherboard. The motherboard, by the way, um, that yellow perf board is the part B of the kit for this particular project. And it's, again, I was hoping to have that circuit board laid out because it contains the temperature sensing uh, circuitry, the LM339. You can see it on the left-hand uh, diagram. Um, and uh, there's a voltage regulator that we need to take 12 volts down to 5 volts because the oven control takes 5 volts um, and uh, the VCXO takes 12 volts. So ultimately, that motherboard is going to be a PCB. It's in layout right now. And you would mount the uh, oven control board, that long skinny one, on top of uh, the motherboard. The various components that you see that would be mounted on that board, on the motherboard. And also in the upper left-hand corner, we won't talk about it too much this time, but is the little GPS receiver module that we've been talking about, the NEO 7M, can also be the 
uh, LEA 6, uh, 6T. There's uh, several 6 versions. There's a, uh, a 5 LEA 6 or a NEO 6 or a NEO 5. And there's also a NEO 8. All of these are coming from a company called Ublox that Dave uh, Collins, AD7JT, and I have been finding great uh, success in using. But I'll hold that conversation for later. The point being is that the motherboard, that yellow board, is a, is going to be a PCB, which will contain uh, the two boards that you will either that you have or soon will have, the VCXO from last time, and the oven control board uh, uh, from this, uh, you know, what we'll be shipping before the week is out. So at least you'll be able to get a start on things and be doing some of your own pre-assembly if you happen to be following along. And we really hope you are, because this is uh, this is fascinating stuff. Okay, I'm going to take a okay, break. Yeah, Mark, go ahead. Hey, Mark, nice, go to ahead. nice to have you with us. Yeah, hey there. Sorry. Um, I don't see the um, any um, uh, pulse per second steering going on. Well, we're not to that point yet. That's actually happening in part three of our episode, Mark. Ultimately, when we add the pulse, the one pulse per second steering, there is yet another circuit board, another small board that's going to mount over top of, if you're looking at the, at the, uh, the perf board, the yellow perf board on the left, it's going to mount over top of that thing, and that is um, the phase lock loop disciplining board that will take the the one. It'll take the signal coming from the GPS board and combine it with and compare it against the VCXO output, and ultimately manage or discipline that output such that it stays in uh, um, in accurate sync with the master coming from the GPS. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, as you know, I understand how it works, but I was just looking at your board and I'm thinking, there's something missing there. So, uh, cool. All right, I'm ahead of myself. That's me. Oh, you are ahead of yourself, but only by a little bit. You and Mike are, um, from a knowledge point, are, are leading the pack probably and would love to have you kind of join us as we take the next uh, next steps. But continuing on this uh, this particular step, just a, just a brief mention of the packaging. Now, I mentioned that I have a, um, a whole boatload of these uh, really nice-looking aluminum enclosures. As a, I forgot the dimensions. I'll write it down on, on the whiteboard. I'm like two by three by four and a half, I think. And uh, you can see how I've packaged it such that uh, on the front panel, and I didn't have time to even put labels on it, on the front panel, left to right, the jacks are, uh, are the GPS antenna. There are two RCA phono plugs, or phono jacks, that I put on there for the purpose of monitoring the two internal signals of interest. One is temperature. Um, I want to be able to look at the uh, temperature signal coming from, from the, uh, the temperature, our temperature indicator, the LM34 or lookalike. And then the second jack is for the, um, I'm going to be labeling it VC, the control voltage going to the uh, VCXO. Those two signals are most of interest to me as an experimenter in order to determine how well the system is operating. So you're welcome to, I mean, we'll be, I'll be supplying those in, in the ultimate, in the enclosure package, which is, which is um, coming to you know, being being available at cost, um, and uh, you know you can put it on there if you want or not. It doesn't matter. The rightmost BNC, of course, is the um, what we call F0, um, or actually it's F maybe FO. I'm not sure which it is, but it's the output frequency, the output signal from the VCXO, the disciplined, absolute, accurate, and stable signal coming from the system when we actually uh, have it uh, fully operating. Of course, the three LEDs um, along the bottom, uh, yellow, green, and red, respectively, are low, in temp, and high. So those LEDs will be coming on um, as the temperature is uh, um, kind of coming up to speed. <clears throat> coming up to speed, and you can get at a glance if your OCXO is within uh, temperature control. 
George. Yes, sir. Typo alert. In the um, schematic 2 of 2, you say red, green, and white, not uh, red, green, and yellow. Um, hate to be a uh, um, correction guy, but uh, you might want to point out uh, just exactly what it will be. Yeah, that's a good point, Joe. Um, keep in mind that, and again, I apologize for the um, the last minute coming together of all this material. Those of you who have been involved in the show preparation know that we've had a lot of the raw material present, but I haven't had a chance to really kind of get it all there and annotated and smoothed out. But that'll come in the, in the coming days. What Joe is indicating is, of course, that uh, the middle light, the in temp, um, was indicated in the schematic as being white. The problem is, actually, I didn't have a, a, a Joe. What's the nomenclature for the small, the, the tinier um, LEDs? Is it a T1 or a T0? I'm not sure. I think it's a millimeter, and the normal is three and a half millimeter, or something like that. Yeah, it's a small version of the LEDs. Some of you guys here might know. I think it's called a T1 or Type 1 or something like that. Uh, sized LEDs. I didn't have, I couldn't find a white one. I've got a boatload of LEDs. Um, a lot of big ones, a lot of small ones, but uh, the white ones are just uh, um, in the larger form factor. So I'll probably, well, I don't know, we'll do it one way or the other. I probably want to use my stock. So we'll probably end up with yellow, green, and red. Um, but that's, before I go on to any of the GPS receiver module stuff, I wanted to kind of have a good logical break here. We're at a point where um, and we had planned in the program to really make sure that we cover in the first half uh, the the oven and uh, the temperature control and the packaging and the two main circuit boards that constitute, uh, you know, the kit if you're following along or if you're ultimately going to get these things. And again, these are at cost. There's, there's no markup. There's no... You know, we're not, not, not funding retirement here for sure, um, but the, we're just kind of biding the parts in, in bulk and passing the savings on to chat with the designer uh, guys who want to be building along with it. Joe, basically, Joe and I just love building this stuff, and we're hoping and taking every step that we can to encourage you to, to follow along by providing this kind of a cookbook, an experimenter's cookbook, in the form of our whiteboards and the parts to go right along with it. Um, can you imagine that if there were like a book that had all sorts of really cool projects, chapter by chapter by chapter, little, little circuits that illustrate one principle or another, and there were a corresponding little bag of parts, inexpensive parts, that you can go off and you can get them yourself for sure. But having each bag of parts specifically available and ready for the replication, um, some people have done that for the uh, uh, experimental uh, methods in RF design. There's all sorts of great projects in there, and somebody has produced a little bag of parts to go along with each of those things. But that's what we're doing here, is we're providing parts to kind of go along with it. And if you want to do it and build it up, great. If you don't, that's okay. Just listen in and follow it along can be just as uh, almost as instructional, but that's that's our, our purpose here. So relative to the VCXO from last week and the oven control from this week, with with very great um, with gratitude to Hans Summers for working along with us in this. Uh, I love the guy. He's he's an experimenter at the heart, just like Joe and me. And uh, ultimately. Um, it's his desire to be helping us along, too, and I, I'm very appreciative. Chat with the designers is very appreciative of him for doing this, and you'll soon be able to start uh, putting together the fruits of what he's been doing and see how the, the merger of the two come about. But questions question. relative to the oven and the oscillator, please, anybody, kind of speak Hello. up. Hello. Sure, Rick, go ahead. Did you give any thought to using thermal grease uh, where the transistors meet the crystal? 
That's a great question. Um, no, I haven't, but that's a possibility. Hans took care of, uh, didn't use thermal grease, but again, he uses a wire mesh, like just a crisscrossing of wires that get soldered to hold the TO92 packages really tight to the crystal package. And that he found to be sufficient. Um, and that's a great question, Rick, because I can elaborate on what we are doing ultimately is we're not just heating a small enclosure such as Hans did over his, his circuit board. We are essentially trying to heat the entire enclosure. Now keep in mind that all insides, all inside surfaces of the our enclosure have this pink insulated material around it. I'll post this thing. I'll post the pictures just after after the show if I can. But ultimately, we are trying to heat up a larger area with the same transistors as he's using. However, we are also adding heat uh, by means of the. There's a regulator on the board. If you can, you see the. the uh, the TO222 package on the right-hand side next to the power jack. Uh, there's a little bit of heat that comes, from, not much, but there's a little bit of heat that comes from the other, uh, the GPS module and the other circuit. And all of that is going to help kind of bring the temperature up. Will we bring it up too much? And, and because there's not a cooling method a mechanism, it's a heating mechanism. Um, I'm not sure how this is all going to work. I think it's going to be working. Joe and I are working through the thermal control dynamics and all sorts of stuff that probably is, is not of interest and too deep for at least this level of discussion. But trying to figure out if, you know, the amount of heat, the amount of area that we have to be heating up and how is it going to be handled. But the bottom line is that I think that the combined heat from the other components as well as the heat offered by the BS170 transistors heating the, trans, the, the crystal are going to be enough to create the combined overall um, uh, stabilized thermal environment that we're looking for. Joe, do you want to speak just for a second? Just a second. I think we have to move along. But um, about the, um, the the heating aspects and the thermal time constants we were speaking of? Yeah, I'll talk about it a little bit. Um, obviously, uh, this is uh, theory at the moment. We, uh, we don't have it uh, quite working yet. Um, um, as we'd uh, care for it. But the idea is that um, we're trying to very carefully control the temperature of um, the most temperature sensitive device, which is the crystal, and um, keep that um, very, very stable in temperature to uh, keep the frequency stable. Um, and as George mentioned, the other stuff will kind of follow along um, by virtue of being in the same pretty much insulated box. The idea is that um, we want to have a um, feedback mechanism, temperature sensing and Feedback to keep the control signal um, that keeps the temperature stable to be um, a stable, slow variation that will kind of match the uh, thermal mass of what we're trying to heat so that the two work together to um, to keep the temperature stable long term once it's stabilized, not have a lot of variations. If you think of a um, think of an amusement park with a um, kiddie car track where they have uh, cars that kids can drive. Um, kind of kind of scary when you think about it. But at any rate, they have they have tracks to keep the kids um, on track, so to speak. But they're not good drivers. They're not used to this. So as they go down there, they kind of jiggle back and forth between the stops on this track. They go back and forth, bang, bang, bang. You think of the temperature, a temperature controller that uh, doesn't have a slow, continuous, controlled variation to it. It'll be that way. It'll go bang, 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 back and forth. You know, have temperature variations that jump up and down all over the place. What we're aiming for is something that's more controlled and stable to give a long-term stability that is more linear than uh, this bang-bang control system. And uh, that's about it in a nutshell. 
And for that reason, too, what I like to, that's, that's why I have the two RCA phono jacks uh, there. I'm going to be taking the temperature signal, the temperature sensor signal, as well as the, uh, um, uh, the VC, the control voltage, uh, and I, I'm planning on instrumenting them and so on. I mean, you can look at, you can monitor these things just fine, of course, with it out of the, the box. But the idea is to um, essentially have the box be the enclosed environment. It'll take a long time, to, a longer time than Hans's OCXO to come under temperature stability. But uh, normally, and I'm, I'm turning around and I've shown pictures of it before. I'm looking at my own, uh, my own uh, GPS units on, on the shelf here. They're on all the time. And the idea is to keep those and their own temperature uh, control mechanisms on all the time, so it's it's, it's a constant uh, environment and the stable the more the most stable signal uh, relative to temperature. Other questions? Alrighty, I hope uh, I hope you do. Um, you know whether you get the enclosure or not. Uh, again, that's an at cost item. I bought several hundred of these things. I like them so much. I'm building up. Uh, Another kid, a, a five watt linear, uh, a, um, a five watt linear amp, RF amp, plus an LPF built into it, and it's just dandy. Um, but I figured I'd start using them here for this thing here. So whether you build it with the enclosure or make your own enclosure, which is fine, keep the enclosure small, build yourself a uh, a um, circuit board enclosure, whatever works for you. Um, I just like the way that uh, this has been looking so far. Okay then. Um, at this point here, I want to bring in an online uh, Dave AD7JT. Uh, Dave, are you with us by your by your computer? I certainly am. Excellent. Dave and I, um, and we've got so many great designer tentacles going on here. Dave and I have been uh, working on GPS stuff. Uh, gosh, it has to be now like for the last uh, four or five months. And we came across some <clears throat> really nifty little modules. Somebody asked on a list, you know, why is George pushing the Neo 7M? I'm not pushing it. It's just a matter of it being available um, for a great price, and it's a good performer. And you can see it pictured right there in the uh, in the GPS uh, receiver module section of the whiteboard. It's actually showing much bigger than it really is, but nonetheless, it's a postage stamp size type of a board. And you connect your antenna up to it. It actually comes with an antenna. You supply some uh, power to it, and boom, it uh, um, it supplies um, an NMEA stream. NMEA. I'm not gonna. I don't know what the acronym stands for, but it provides a stream of data that's relatively standard in the industry that describes um, your latitude, longitude, uh, time. Um, all sorts of uh, the, uh, other information that it gets from the satellite. So that little chip is a marvel. And uh, most GPS receivers these days uh, are using this kind of a chip. As I said before, this comes from U-Blocks, which I just, uh, I think we gravitated to using U-Blocks chips, and we've been finding the interface pretty rich and, and capable, and we've got some all, we've got some other kits, uh, kind of um, kit ideas coming together. But one of the things, and I'm going to turn it over to Dave in a second, that really came to mind is that... Uh, I don't know if you've seen some of there, there are some programs out there that take the this data stream coming from uh, GPS receiver modules and then shows it on your PC screen. And it, it shows a great uh, constellation graphic of all the different satellites in the sky and, and it shows your it shows the accurate one pulse per second time increments and UTC time and your latitude, longitude, altitude. Um, all sorts of other information that's coming along there on your PC. And that's just really very nice and interesting. But uh, kind of along with, with my uh, uh, with, with the mantra that I have with uh, Midnight Design is that we don't need no stinking PC in order to do some of the stuff. In other words, I like to have handheld type of 
instrumentation that isn't tied to the PC. I can take it out into the, um, I can take it out, easily take it out into the field without carting along a PC or any kind of a PC lookalike clone that tends to be expensive, bulky, and hard to read. So combining that desire and the GPS module, along with a project that uh, uh, Dave and I have been working on and, and bringing out in the uh, the NAT and SA, uh, SNA forum, um, was is the SNA kit, the um, Scalar Network Analyzer. And I did put, oh shucks, I was going to put a link over to that. Maybe uh, Dave, you could uh, post the link in the chat section here to the SNA page. But ultimately, what um, what we did was said, hey, we can take an SNA, and if you've got an SNA kit, that's great. But even if you don't have an SNA kit, you can buy, you can just take the bare uh, the the basic components, the motherboard and the display, um, and pump in this RS-232 data stream from a GPS module, and boom, you've got the display showing much like. Uh, on a little box like you like we show on the second uh, the second picture um, in, in 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 the pictures below it. So there you see sitting next to I guess that's a Dave picture. He's got the SNA box uh, with the GPS display on it showing on it sitting next to his uh, well actually it happens to be next to a an SDR cube and on sitting on top of some kind of a Yesu or ICOM. Uh, rig. But what we did was we, we, we took that data, uh, Dave parsed through the data and um, did a magnificent job in providing a new software load for an SNA kit. That turns it from an SNA into what we now call a GPS display terminal, showing exactly what you see here. So you got GPS data on the left hand, you got satellite signal to noise uh, signal strength on the right, and there's some other information down below, and there's other capabilities too. But uh, we thought this was just so cool, especially with this particular project, because now if we're, we're, we here in this group, or we're working on this uh, this uh, dandy little um, 10 megahertz standard uh, GPS-driven um, uh, oscillator, disciplined oscillator, and uh, here now is a way to take that same information stream coming from your GPS, your standard uh, oscillator, and display it. So you're kind of giving double duty to the GPS module here. But Dave, do you want to kind of take it over from here and maybe talk a little bit about uh, uh, the GTD, as we are now starting to call it, the GPS Display Terminal. And again, it's a software load, a software that you can load into an existing hardware platform of the SNA or you can get a lesser expensive, you know, a less expensive version of the SNA without the uh, log amp and all the, uh, the BNCs and so on. It's just the display in the case. And it makes a great thing to set on your on your lab bench, on set uh, up on a TV terminal up while you're watching TV and see your GPS uh, information. Techies like us like this kind of stuff, huh, Dave? Right, George. Uh, it's been a great learning experience for me, too, because before we started this, I knew virtually nothing about GPS. <laughs> Um, somebody have a mic open. <laughs> anyway, the uh, what what you're seeing here is is a standard message set that comes out of virtually all GPS receivers. And they give you the basic uh, information about your location, altitude, velocity, and all that stuff. Plus, they give you the signal strength information about the satellites. And so it's kind of like a thermometer for your current GPS setup because it tells you how good or bad you're doing. Uh, these units we've been using, just sitting in my windowsill, which was that, that one came from, uh, typically we managed to track 
in the neighborhood of 10 satellites, and I've seen it as high as 17, where it's actually getting information from, which is very high. It only has to have four to do everything. <clears throat> Excuse me. But anyway, that's just part of the story. Uh, in the bottom right corner, you see that little box labeled Time Pulse, and that's a signal coming out of the GPS receiver. And using um, using some proprietary U-Blocks commands, you can set the, uh, the frequency and the pulse width, uh, the duty cycle, if you would, to anything from 1 hertz to, um, to 10 megahertz. And to do that, there's another mode for this, this uh, firmware load that puts the screen that's just below the one that has the, uh, has the picture of the unit sitting on my receiver there. It's like a signal generator, and you can go in there and adjust the frequency and get anything else you want. And the frequency there that's shown is actually read from the receiver. It's a, like a closed loop. You tell it where to go, and then you go and look at it, or I tell it where to go, and then go and look at it to make sure it got there, and then display the frequency. And... Um, so that's that's I think pretty handy. You got a precision uh, a precision oscillator there. That's um, that's actually slaved to the GPS time base, which is a fantastic set of atomic clocks floating around over our heads. Um, the next picture down shows what the actual message set looks like. I won't go into all that, but there's a every second the receiver does a position solution and it outputs this package of uh, messages and uh, the firmware parses that and uh, pulls the information out of there. Uh, as, and Joe met, or George mentioned that the uh, that the firmware. Uh, is loaded in an existing pl platform. You know, either the NAT or the SNA will execute this. It doesn't use much of it. And uh, I've got an operator manual. You can build your own if you want. But the uh, the firmware is very easy to load in this box. It takes about two minutes, and it's, there's an SD card uh, interface and a, uh, a file system designed into the firmware where it can actually reload the firmware um, directly. And so, so you can have a box that you can have the, the SD card with number of applications on it and just load the one you want to run. And if, you, if any of you have seen the SNA or the NAT, you, you see the screen has turned 90 degrees. It's possible to position that screen. Um, just, in fact, this particular um, application has a, a user option in it to, to set the orientation of the screen up any way you want. If you want the connectors on the top or on the bottom, you can just turn them around. Anyway, that's a quick rundown of what the box is. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if you mentioned that uh, the signal generator uh, uh, thing, Dave, and I'll, I'll hand it back to you in a second, but um, part of our solution going forward is to be using the GPS receiver to provide an accurate signal to our disciplining circuit, which again is the circuit that will come in part three next month. And that's what uh, uh, Mark and I2O um, or G7 PLT, I was talking about a moment ago, but uh, ultimately um, getting a good signal from the GPS module, um, whether it's a one PPS, one pulse per second signal, or another signal, in this case here, this is showing um, the signal generator showing one megahertz being generated. Some of these receivers have an ability to program via that proprietary interface that Dave was talking about, um, signals um, uh, in a range from z zero or even sub sub zero hertz to um, or sub one hertz um, to um, up to its maximum onboard VCO frequency, and that's going to be useful for us. Uh, Dave, you want to comment on that and the signal generator? Uh, yeah, I think I, if I understand what you mean. Um, 
This one, I only drive this one from 1 hertz to 10 megahertz, which is kind of the range, they, and in 1 hertz steps. Uh, the documentation says they can do it in, in uh, quarter hertz steps, but I figured that was a little overkill for our use. Um, also, you, you can't just set the frequency, then you have to go in and set the time period. You, you, can, you can adjust the, uh, the time pulse coming out of the receiver either by frequency and duty cycle or by, uh, by period and, uh, and duration of, of the pulse. You know, one, one's in microseconds and the other one's in, uh, in hertz, of course. And, but all I've done here is, is the one hertz, one hertz steps. Uh, you can vary this. Well, I won't get into how this all works. It's all documented. I've been working on a uh, on a user guide. Uh, I'll explain all this. And people who uh, have an SNA uh, probably recognize the screen. The same signal generator screen is on it. Uh, only there, it's controlling uh, the DDS60 in there, not not the uh, uh, GPS receiver. Uh, did that cover it, George? Yeah, it did, Dave. Thanks. Um, and I, I just want to underscore um, a point that it, that is really relevant. Those of you who might have an SNA or know about the signal, uh, the uh, scalar network analyzer, and it has a DDS60 in it, and you squirt out a, uh, a controlled signal through a circuit, and you measure the output of that circuit, and the differences between input and output give you the characteristic. That's what an SNA does. This signal generator screen does not use a D, uh, does not use a DDS. There's no other signal generator circuitry in there except for the GPS receiver itself. What we are doing is commanding the re, uh, the GPS receiver module to output a specific frequency based on the accurate frequency, ultimately uh, the, the 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 accurate time and base information coming down from the satellite which is uh, driving its own internal VCO, um, and we are taking that VCO output. Now, we're going to talk much more about it next time, but the actual frequency selection of, is, is of utmost importance because the, we want to get a good, nice signal, a stable signal, a low jitter signal, a low phase noise signal coming from the GPS module. And the proper selection of a frequency coming from a given module is of utmost um, um, importance. We'll talk about why that is and how that is next time. But we ultimately will take that frequency and use it to control the frequency of our own VCXO. In other words, this becomes the accurate signal that's going to that we're going to use to discipline our VXO, VCXO, that is temperature stabilized and set properly and all of that, in order to make sure that that VCXO is dead nuts on 10.0000000 megahertz. So we thought this this uh, introducing the GTD the GPS display terminal right now is a great thing because it is offering us some software that is going to be useful to control the uh, um, that onboard GPS receiver module. It's in our in our in our uh, standard in our GPSDO. Um, we'll also have an application on the PC that will allow the same kind of thing too by uh, RS232 connection. But we don't like to use PC connections. We just like to use it uh, right handheld. Can you imagine this little module, the GPS display module, sitting side by side with your um, GPS DO, the, our disciplined oscillator uh, project here? It is so cool. I, I, I just think it's, uh, it's dandy. Um, so kudos to Dave. He's, he's, Dave is an amazing software guy, and I love working with him, and together we're producing some pretty cool things 
that uh, we're making available. Um, Mike, WA8BXM, we talked earlier about how you are doing some really fun experiments and you're kind of leading the pack relative to where we're going with this project. Can you tell us a little bit about some of your observations and findings? You've stumbled on some things that I think are incredibly um, prescient and uh, foreseeing the wisdom and direction that we're going in here at a slower pace, and you've been doing some of that discovery yourself. Could you tell us about it? Yes, I can. Uh, I just became fascinated with uh, this set of topics and uh, didn't really have a need for a GPS DO, uh, but uh, it's a great learning experience. Uh, and I was trying to guess at how George was going to uh, do his uh, GPS DO in part three. Uh, so I started doing some reading uh, of uh, some amateur uh, projects, uh, QST and QEX, uh, about how others had done it. And many used uh, a, uh, a microprocessor to uh, kind of count frequency or uh, phase lock. Uh, a uh, VCXO uh, onto uh, the satellite signal, the one uh, pulse per second, and uh, that, that would kind of uh, puzzle me a little bit, uh, how with a uh, signal only once every second could get any accuracy, but uh, it's a very accurate one second. Uh, so I uh, started a, uh, a project uh, using an Arduino uh, Uno board to uh, do a frequency counter and uh, uh, an algorithm that uh, I designed uh, to control a voltage output from the Arduino board that could feed uh, the voltage control of the VCXO, and I've had some success with that. Uh, I call it a sort of uh, uh, GPSDO, uh, and I've got some documentation on the uh, chat with the designer's uh, Yahoo site. Uh, but then the reading uh, some of the posts that uh, have been given, uh, I got to thinking about phase lock loops a little bit. There's a 4046 circuit uh, IC that's uh, you know, there's a CD version of it. There's a 74 HCT version of it, and a whole bunch. It's a very old circuit that uh, has some comparators and a voltage controlled oscillator in it that uh, forms a phase locked loop. Uh, and just kind of as a whim uh, with uh, the uh, 10 megahertz output from the GPS, uh, I fed uh, one lead into uh, one of the comparator inputs. The other uh, uh, comparator input was the output uh, from the crystal oscillator that generates a control voltage. I connected it to a control line. Now, I actually was using the Trimble VCXO in my experiments, and I had a uh, dual-channel oscilloscope uh, looking at the signal coming out of the GPS and looking in the other channel at the signal coming out of the VCXO, and uh, lo and behold, uh, the signal locked, and uh, that was kind of amazing. And uh, did some other experiments along that line, and uh, maybe that's the way we're going to be uh, heading. Uh, is that kind of the direction, George? Yeah, that's kind of the direction, Mike. Um, I still have a couple of little tricks up my sleeve, and I'm, I'm working on documenting it and working with Dave and Joe on them. And we'll, you, you're kind of working with us in the background, so you, you're privy to this stuff. But we're not going to talk generally about it. 
yet. And um, um, I, too, have been doing lots and lots of reading relative to phase locked loops. And I've been bending Joe's ear incessantly. What I don't understand this. I don't understand, uh, you know, how we can have a phase lock condition and still have the control voltage go in both directions in order to control the VCO. Uh, and, Joe, and Joe's been very indulgent and in taking me by the hand step by step as he always has been doing over the years. But I think um, phase lock loops, especially the math and the, uh, uh, well, the math behind the loop itself, and especially for the loop filter, is is of tremendous interest to me and Joe. And let's see, JJ is not online here tonight, unfortunately. Joe Jessen, uh, KC2VGL. Um, is is also and we've, we've got a whole cadre of people that are wrapped into these projects that we have and it's it's what makes it fun but the uh, um, the educational aspects of of the loop design the loop filter uh, phase jitter noise phase measurement and all of that is is as joe said earlier it's the journey of getting there is more exciting than actually getting there if you know what i mean many of us in ham radio have this know this feeling of building a radio is so much more fun part as opposed to ultimately using it you, know, you use it for a while and then you set it to the side but it's the learning experience, the involvement, and the uh, the expanding of your own horizons. As you are learning, Mike, and, and, and doing a, an incredible job, I applaud you. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your education is. But you're grasping concepts here that uh, um, are, are pretty are pretty advanced, all things considered. And we're going to be using, and to kind of answer your question, leave my hand a little bit, I think we're going to be using an advanced chip, a, pay, a phase lock loop chip. I'm not sure, but uh, we may do that. But that's going to be kind of fun. But uh, thanks for your recap there. And uh, maybe I'll toss it open for questions. We're at the end of the uh, of the material here and kind of free-forming it. So does anybody have any questions along this whole area? We're covering a lot of territory, and I hope it's not too confusing to you maybe listening to the podcast later will help it help it kind of reach home a little bit better but uh, questions anyone please I have a quick question uh, reference the uh, PPS steering uh, that was uh, spoken earlier by Mark sure Mike go ahead uh, yeah, when uh, Mark, when you mentioned about the PPS steering that that you questioned on the circuit, is there some place we can go, you know, look that up? I just did a Google search and I didn't get anything off of it. Um, yeah, there there are actually quite a few uh, uh, designs around. Um, uh, a lot of them are Arduino based. Some of them are pick based. Basically, what it's, most of them do is the uh, is the PLL trick. They take the one pulse per second from the uh, the GPS receiver. Somehow they lock onto that and uh, and then fire off steering voltage which in turn um, you know heats or unheats or, or varies the capacitor or something uh, on the um, on the oscillator um, uh, circuit for for most of these uh, devices you'll buy on eBay uh, you just add or remove um, you know some voltage uh, an analog amount of voltage um, so yeah I mean they're, they're they're around I'll try and find some links and maybe send them off to George for next time Okay, very good. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, no no worries at all. That's that's what this is about. And by the way, just to augment what uh what Mark was saying. Mark and I were, uh, Mark, Mark was doing it well long before I was. In fact, back in some of the earlier days of the NJQRP club, Mark would be offering, uh, uh, coming to our club and talking about different things. And I, Mark, I'm sitting here looking at some of these, uh, uh, I've got these boards I have. I've got uh, two or three Jupiter engine boards. I've got the uh, G3RUH, is it? Um, um, I can't remember the exact call sign, but um, oh, I can't think. 
Yeah, but uh, Mike, if you look, uh, if you do a quick search, and you'll see some really good simple circuits. Look for G3RUH, Golf 3 Romeo Uniform Hotel, uh, GPS, G3RUH, uh, GPS. Look for um, Mike. What what is the uh, uh, the other uh, the other Mike? BXN. What was the name of the VC, uh, the V2 guy that uh, had that circuit board? VEQZAZ? Uh, yeah, that's it again. Can you say it phonetically for us? Victor Echo 2 Zanzibar Alpha Zanzibar. Roger that. VA2ZAZ. If you look that one up as well, um, Mike. Um, um, W6YH, WH6YH, cool sign, cool call sign. But if you look up those two call signs, G3RUH and uh, uh, VE2ZAZ, along with GPS, you'll see some projects that talk, uh, that show exactly the simple, good, and often good enough, really good enough, way that you can take a one pulse per second or an intermediate like uh, 10 kilohertz and then uh, use that signal to frequency lock, frequency lock, not phase lock, necessarily. Um, those are two different concepts, uh, but the end result is the same. It produces a steering voltage to the VCO, and that's how the that's that's essentially the principles that we're that we're uh, leading up to next week. Thank and you, I'll, thank you very much. Yeah, and I'll have these links. You you might notice once again at the bottom of the page there is something that didn't a link a set of links did not come through as they should have. They're, they are PLL reference links for people to look at and study in advance if they wish. As far as uh, some of the good papers that I have found and Mike has found relative to uh, this whole topic. George, what Oh sure. Um, you might also want to add in the links the uh, Gardner book. Well, which is one of the um, uh, foundation books on phase lock loops. The, uh, uh, you can talk about it because you, um, I think you just ordered it. You might add that to the uh, whiteboard in addition. Oh man, Joe, you stole my thunder. Here's what I was going to do, and just just before you before you spoke, uh, everybody take a listen and see if you'll know what I mean. That is sort of like the sound of the, that Bill Mira uses for his mailbox or mailbag portion of his. Uh, of his uh, monthly show, um, I forgot what uh, what exactly it's called, but I was going to make a mention. Solder smoke, thank you, Mike. Um, I love it. I, I listen to all of them, and uh, Bill is a fabulous home brewer and experimenter himself, and a raconteur. So um, what Joe was referring to, and Joe, I just got it today. I opened it up during the show here. My my book I ordered um, from uh, Amazon called Phase Lock Techniques um, by Floyd Gardner. I'll put the picture and the in in link on there. It's a little bit expensive, 60 bucks or something. Um, but believe me, it is really, really worth it. It's an amazing book that doesn't get overly math-oriented, but is there if you want to use it. But it goes into all sorts of like section 10 is ripple filters on the loop filter so it's just very germane to our topics that we're talking about here for um, phase locking the different kinds of phase locks um, the loop filtering techniques and it's just a really great reference so this thing plus two or three papers that Mike was alluding to relative to V um, well actually two or three projects uh, that we talked about already as well as two or three papers that uh, these guys have um, 
I'll see the CD4046, as it's an IC, and it's a phase lock loop IC. Mike has used some of those. Uh, BXN, Mike has used some of those. Um, and uh, just reading up on how it's accomplished is, is just a really interesting thing. And it's definitely in terms that we can understand, because they're talking block levels and uh, some digital levels that uh, are compared, and you get an output signal, and it's, it's just pretty straightforward. Um, but uh, if you're at all interested in this stuff, and you are, maybe because you are listening here tonight um, and on the podcast, you would probably enjoy that. But Joe, thank you very much for pointing that out. Uh, Joe pointed that book out to me, and uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Joe, what are some of your observations of this whole thing that we're on here as far as working on a frequency standard for the shack and how we're going about doing it? and is it the be a, be end, what do you call it the be all end all approach or is it a starting point or what do you think of this thing we're doing <laughs> Boy, that's an open ended question well frankly um it's somewhere in the middle it's not a um it's not a heath kit that you just throw together and uh, bang it works and it's not uh, not going to be the national institute of standards and technology uh reference for the world. But uh, what we're coming up with is something that's practical for uh, the average ham to build, um, learning as we go along to uh, to learn how to use GPS signals that, um, that the government has, has uh, actually put in the sky for military usage um, and since uh, recently opened up fully for uh, um, for uh, um, civilian usage, not only for uh, position location or mapping for finding directions, but also for disseminating um, very, very accurate, stable, repeatable time signals. And uh, as hams are interested in frequency signals, we're coming up with an experimenter's delight um, means of locking to that uh, GPS constellation of satellites and uh, locking a home oscillator to it that the average ham can use to uh, use as a frequency standard in a shack, either just for um, frequency counters or indeed for uh, locking a um, some sort of synthesizer or um, ham rig or some of the uh, sophisticated um, uh, weak signal um, propagation or weak signal modulation techniques. Um, it's not going to be the world's greatest and it's not going to be sloppy. It's going to be uh, somewhere in between uh, to be practical and usable and able to be duplicated by the average ham. And along the way, we're trying to provide some uh, at-cost kits to uh, ease the uh, process of uh, buying the various bits and pieces to uh, to do this um, in a way that um, is, as George pointed out, it's uh, you know it's the it's enjoying the process of the road, the journey of getting there, and uh, learning as we go um, just how to apply some of these techniques um, in an understandable and um, graspable way for the average ham. Uh, so well said, Joe. Thank you. Um, Dave, Any uh, where, where are we going with this GPS stuff? I mean, you, you just love continuing to hammer away at the software and finding all sorts of neat capabilities and features. You had mentioned to me before that uh, the signal generator mode, for example, is just one, is a feature that we are taking advantage of uh, as far as U-Blocks is concerned. Uh, the display of all the different um, GPS information on the on the master screen, the master GPS display screen, is pretty standard um, among all different kinds of GPS uh, units, right? The, the NMEA data stream from various GPS displays can show up on our, our GTD, our GPS display terminal, um, right? 
Yeah, I think that that set of, uh, of, of messages is pretty standard. Um, at least I've seen it on Garmin units now and on any all, all the U-Blocks ones have it, I guess. And I've looked at some of the other documentation for some of the other chip manufacturers. Well, there's a lot of uh, GPS receiver manufacturers out there. I don't know if we can ever cover them all. Um, but anyway, I, I think they're all the same, but the standard messages uh, don't let you get at some of the fun stuff, like, like controlling the oscillator inside there. You know, the, those, they're all proprietary messages, and we're just using the uh, U-Blocks messages, because uh, that's what we have as U-Blocks units. So that stuff uh, wouldn't work until we found out what, uh, you know, what we need to do it with other, with other types of receivers. Uh, another thing I'd like to point out in, in a picture you've got on the whiteboard of the, the module, uh, you see the modification I did to it. Uh, I added that little six-pin connector on the bottom by drilling two holes on either side of the four that are there. And then that blue wire is actually picking up the TP pulse and bringing it out to the end pin on that connector. They, they use the TP pulse just to drive an LED right below where the blue wire uh, connects. That's an LED there, and it'll normally get their flash at one second. Well, I make it flash at 10 megahertz. But anyway, that's a, a mod. And then the second thing I wanted to bring up, George, is you're going to have to add another connector to your box so that we can get the uh, serial port in and out. Oh, you're absolutely right. You are right indeed. Um, that's what experimentation is about. So, uh, yeah, and other, it's going to be tricky, too. I, I forgot. We had a conversation. Oh, gosh, time's getting away. We're going to close it down in a moment. We had a conversation about uh, how to get that MMCX jack. Uh, the, the antenna jack is a very small connector, as you see in the upper right-hand corner of the, N, uh, of the NEO 7M module. And how to connect to that. I just uh, uh, used solder. I, I just uh, took a fine point solder and connect with RG7. Uh, actually, it's a Teflon version of RG174. Um, but um, that's a tough signal to get off uh, a little bit. But once you got it, it's done. And uh, it should be uh, pretty straightforward. Um, get get your modules. We're going to have a list of things to get here. Um, a summary of links for the, GP, the various GPS modules link for the VCXO board, a link for the OCXO kit. Stand by uh, for later this week. I'll talk on the list about uh, when those mailings are going to go up, when the orders can be made, and then I can ship by the end of the week. Um, and um, and then I'll give you an update, too. On the, I'll give you all an update on the motherboard, which is uh, you know contains a temp sense and also fits into that aluminum enclosure. So the project is all starting to come together. Stay tuned if you're if you're interested in this thing, and uh, you can have some fun too. Any closing thoughts before we uh, we we shut it down? Uh, no. any, any comments? George, George. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Uh, yeah, and Mike just posted something on the on the meshes thing down there, which I was going to do too. Is uh, about information. You can get cables that adapt from that micro mini connector on there to most any other kind of connector you want. In fact, I've got picked up a few of them that go from that connector to uh, BNC. They're a little harder to find, but they're available on eBay. But you can get them essentially the same cable you got there, but would plug right into the uh, the connector on the board. Oh, that's great. Can you send me the link, and I'll be sure to post it here. That'll be something I want to get to. I, I think I posted. I talked to. I'm, I'm posted a message saying that I. I uh, collect all sorts of different kinds of connectors from flea markets and old circuit boards and things, and uh, I probably collect too much junk. My wife tells me that all the time, but nonetheless, there's always a use for it at some point. Yeah, Rick. 
Uh, is there any information available elsewhere on the GDP? I was not even uh, aware of that. That's what you used to uh, build the original SNA project? Yes, it is. If you want to just take a look at the SNA project, you'll see that it's a motherboard um, that has the connectors on it and also the display mounts to that motherboard. And um, then there's some other components that go onto it that do the measurement. There, you know, there's a log amp and three BNCs and all sorts of other glue type of uh, uh, things. Um, so what, what I'm doing, I just haven't had a chance to kind of prepare it, is I'm creating a... Uh, um, essentially a GDT kit, which is going to be the SNA kit, except for the SNA parts. In other words, just the motherboard and display. Uh, so it'll be less expensive and I'll have it, it fits in the same enclosure and uh, make up a new um, nice laminated display or overlay for it as well. And it'll be kind of uh, pretty dandy. If you do have a NAT, an NAT or an SNA, you can use it directly. Uh, just load the new software in, as Dave was saying, using the SD card and you'll be in like Flynn. Okay, so the GDT kit is essentially just a serial terminal display? Yes, it is. Good, well said. Always need one of those. Yeah, in, indeed. And so the, the, what the original project started off back, uh, whew, Dave, how long ago now? A year and a half, the NAT? Yeah, at least. It's, it's sort of grown over time. The whole idea came up when we found this display that had uh, had this quarter BGA full-color display, 16-bit color, has a touch screen on it, has the SD socket on it, and has pads for a serial double EEPROM, and that just looked like most of the peripherals you need for a lot of projects. So we went and developed a standard set of um, drivers and whatnot for all these things, and the whole idea was we could use this base for a whole bunch of different projects. The NAT was the first, which grew to the SNA, and now this is really the second one. And you just load the software and bang, away you go. <laughs> so do you have a price yet, or is that TBD? Oh, it's TBD, but it's uh, it's also calculable. Uh, just look at the SNA kit and subtract like $12 off of it, or maybe $10. Um, some of those around there, Rick. I'll have that taken care of just within a couple of days because we're really excited about this thing and we want to make sure that everybody has a chance to do it. Um, we're, we're preparing an article for uh, QEX and uh, maybe a simplified one for, or a shorter one, for um, QST. I mean, it's just, it's just that, that ubiquitous as far as a, a GPS terminal such that any GPS module can take advantage of probably 75 to 90 percent of its features and capabilities that uh, that Dave's been putting in there. So this is really a, a cool thing to have. Very good. How's your back? My back is doing great. Thank you for asking. I am now proud to say that I am almost a full week without any painkillers at all. I've gone from all sorts of painkillers uh, back when I had my operation in May. Um, and it, it, just long story short, it's been a, a recovery ramp that has been steady and very much enjoyed being back in the land, in the land of, the, of the scene. Welcome back. And now you can enjoy bourbon, too. That has been the best incentive out of everything, I think. Okay, guys. Joe, do you want to take us home? Certainly. This has been a... <laughs> It's been an interesting session. Um, generally, it's been about um, um, our evolving project of the uh, using GPS to um, come up with a uh, frequency standard. Um, we discussed tonight our uh, torturous pro pro progress in uh, coming up with a uh, uh, GPS uh, discipline oscillator or some of the pieces for it um, in terms of uh, using 
um, building as we go along, coming up with a uh, an oven controller that uh, will be used for a um, um, 10 megahertz oscillator to come up with a very stable, uh, voltage controlled, um, temperature stable crystal, um, yeah, crystal oscillator, variable crystal oscillator that will be used ultimately for a um, GPS discipline oscillator. Um, we described the um, circuitry that we're using based on uh, some Hans Summers stuff and um, discussed the um, evolution of a uh, physical implementation of this, although uh, it's not completely done yet, but uh, it's coming along pretty well. Um, uh, question? Mike, uh, WH6YH had a question. Oh, no, I was copying uh, links off the, the text portion. Did I activate something? Yeah, apparently you uh, triggered, the, uh, triggered the mic there. All right, anyway, um, we discussed the oven controller, the process of it uh, coming along, and um, uh, also uh, deviated a bit, not deviation, but uh, added to it with a discussion of um, an offshoot of the GPS receiver module which is the uh, Midnight uh, GPS Display Terminal, which uses the uh, U-Blox uh, receiver module and um, a subset of the uh, parts of the uh, uh, SNA, the Scalar Network Analyzer that uh, George and uh, Dave Collins came up with to uh, use some of the other uh, GPS information to, uh, to have a uh, display of that GPS information, which is quite interesting um, and will be a product in itself. We also um, uh, in uh, Mike uh, WB8, um, I keep forgetting his call sign, WA8BXN, and some of his uh, experiments with uh, coming up with a discipline oscillator. He's kind of been working in parallel with us and, um, and doing some interesting things. At any rate, it's an evolving project. We have a number of things going. Uh, things look very promising, and um, the pieces are going together, and uh, quite soon we should have, uh, um, certainly in a week or two, we should have the, uh, the ovenized oscillator going along with a discipline display of uh, whether or not the temperatures in sync. It's going to be an interesting thing. And ultimately, the next uh, session is going to be the um, the ultimate uh, package, the whole thing put together for uh, using this this, this uh, oven-controlled oscillator and the GPS receiver module to come up with a GPS discipline oscillator that should be of um, quite uh, quite handy for uh, the average ham and something that uh, the average ham can build, which is uh, part of why we're here. And, of course, uh, we're all enjoying the uh, the journey as we go along. Thank you all for participating. I uh, appreciate uh, you providing questions and uh, uh, keeping us on our toes here. 73, and uh, we'll see you in a month.